0: Job 1, 6 through 22. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hands. So Satan went out, from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he is yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Shalidans formed three groups and made a raid on camels and took them and struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four. Corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I have come to you from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. The word of the Lord.
1: God. Have a seat.
0: So when I announced a few weeks ago
1: that I was going to do this series on Job, you may, if you were here, there's sort of inaudible groan rose from the congregation as one voice, and you could hear subtly, but people went, ugh. You can sort of hear it, you know, and several people commented to me afterward. Remember, I got, this, I got this little cartoon from somebody in our congregation. One of the younger people in our congregation gave me this afterward. If you can see, I'm at the top. It's a very good likeness of me talking about Job. I didn't really say much about it at the time, but the groan is coming from the congregation, and the moral at the bottom is the book of Job is a very heavy book. Sort of. Sort of. If we see the Bible as an anthology, that is a collection of stories that kind of have to do with this God, and we just sort of grouped them together and we found ones that kind of give us a broad range, then books like Job and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Ecclesiastes and Leviticus, we pass right by. Because... You know, in an anthology, you can sort of choose the poetry you like, or you can choose the story that you want. But the others are all just sort of, there's no real, it's not a purpose. But the Bible is one book with 66 parts, right? And it's a story from first to last that's one tale of a God of redemption and a God who is there and culminating in this pivotal moment of Jesus Christ coming, the incarnation we just celebrated, Easter, His death. But this is one story. And so the reason I go through, and I mean, some people will go through every just start at Genesis 1 and preach through to Revelation and start over again. I mean, it takes you a while, but you could do that. I I jump around a bit for, for some other reasons, but we can't ignore the books of the Bible in either public proclamation or in our private reading, the ones we don't like. Because we'll start cutting out verses we don't like. Because if the Bible is just a, it's just a collection and we get to pick and choose the parts of it we like, then we miss the richness of what it's trying to teach us. Because the book of Job faces head on one of the questions we have to ask as humans. Which is, how is it that if there is a good and loving God, there is suffering in the world by people who don't deserve it? There is a principle that has been forever, as far as we know that man has been reasoning and thinking, they call it the retribution principle, and we have it in our day-to-day. It's kind of a version of what they call karma today. But it's this, and it makes so much sense. Good people get good things, and good things happen to them and bad people have bad things happen to them. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's perfectly sensible. And then real life smacks you in the face. And you see people that apparently on the outside are good and righteous and awful things happen to them. We could all name a story. I could tell you dozens and you could tell me dozens of stories of they didn't deserve that. How many funerals have we been to? They, it just, it, it's unfair. It's unjust. Now, it is an interesting part of that. What is unfair and unjust? Because if you don't believe there's a God, then the universe, I guess, is unfair and unjust. But if you have any sense in any religion, not even Christianity, but anything where there's a God, what you're really saying is God is unjust. And that is the question in the book of Job. Is God just or unjust? And so... It's easy, in some ways, we could give Job, and you'll hear this sort of short shrift, one or two weeks on Job, is God just or unjust? Well, no, he's not unjust, but I don't know how, it seems unjust to me. Let's go on to Psalms, right? We do a disservice. We need to steep a little bit in the pain. There is more about the gospel and about Jesus and Job than virtually any other book in the Old Testament. Here's a line from the book of Job. In the midst of a man who we just heard the first part of his suffering, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And on that day I will see him face to face when my flesh is withered away and I will know he is a vindicator. Wow. Job's not a perfect man Job's perspective is going to change. Can I tell you that by Thursday, all of us are going to want to be out in our bathing suits and shirtless? Because it's supposed to get to be like 58 degrees, right? If it were July, we would all be shivering in here and you'd be dressed just like this on Thursday and thinking, oh my gosh, after days of 80s and 90s, right? Because it's all about perspective. Right? Even when it's like 35 tomorrow, I'm going to be like, I don't, need a, I don't need a coat. Right? Right? Aren't you all going to feel that way? Aren't you uh, all going look at the temperature like I have, right? When is it going to break? When is it going to change? And we are all going to feel from three weeks of a very cold perspective to a brand new perspective that's going to be like heaven. And it'll still be 40 degrees out. Well, Job is a book about lessons and perspective. Because we're going to see a guy who in the midst of his suffering of pain unimaginable to us is going to be able to say, I know that even though my God slay me, I will yet praise him. Would that I can know God like that. I'm not sure I know God like that. I, I say that not as a confession other than just an honest thing. Of I, I pray I would have that kind of faith to say, Lord, if you killed my children, Lord, if every bit of, of my goods were gone, I haven't suffered a bit like Job. Many of you have suffered much more closer to that. I pray that at the deepest part I would be able to say, as he says another part in here, Lord, I used to just hear about you, but now my eyes have seen you. We're going to see a man who's not on trial for his faith. The Bible makes it very clear all throughout Job that this man was in right relationship with God. He did the right things and had the right attitude. God, for reasons that are mysterious, no getting around it, permits the accuser to put Job through these incredibly, incredibly difficult trials. And yet, his perspective from just being a man who does the right thing, who has the right attitude, we are going to see a perspective change in a man who walks in suffering and comes out the other end redeemed, knowing God still. I don't know about you, but I've seen, I have dear, dear, dear friends, some of my closest friends who have gone through some suffering, Job-like suffering, and it hasn't produced in them this, I've seen God. Because they've asked the Job questions that his comforters, his friends, are going to ask, and they're going to say, well, this and that. And we're going to look at some of the questions from an earthly wisdom perspective. From Earth's view, they're going to say, well, how about this, Job? How about that, Job? And my friends have looked at things and says there can't be a God who would allow this. There just can't be. I can't believe in a God like that. And yet Job comes out and says, there must be a God like this. And at the end of the road, we're going to see the one Job prefigures. We're going to see the Lord Jesus clearly revealed, chiseled away like the block of marble and you chisel away. And as we begin to chisel away at the questions over these next weeks, looking at it, what's going to be revealed is a portrait of Jesus Christ, the ultimate one who is completely righteous and suffered. Every book in the Bible from Obadiah and Nahum and all those little minor prophets to Job to Genesis to Revelation is a portrait when it's all said and done of the one who lived and died for you. And so I want to spend, I'm spending a little more time with sort of a preface than I normally do in this because. I think that when, you know, eventually we'll go through, I'm going to try to go through all 66 books. We're at about 35 or 40 books of the scripture. And some of the ones we, that we, you know, it's, 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 pre, it's easier to preach on Philippians, right? It's just easier to preach on the gospels. Cause it's just more, I don't know, it, it, it seems to bring the, that joy. When you look here, there's two chapters of narrative in Job. There's 40 chapters of poetry of intense suffering and God's response to that, and then one chapter at the end of kind of a narrative again. It's not the easiest book for us in the kind of way we read to go through. But I would invite you to sit with Job, with me, with us, in a bit of the suffering, because I don't know what your level of suffering has been in your life. Some of y'all, it's, it's been immense. Some of y'all the wind has blown more fair winds and praise god for that i'm not saying that you know we should be seeking out the suffering but suffering seems to find you somehow sometimes when you don't job wasn't looking for it and that's really the first point of this book is that job wasn't looking for the suffering he wasn't looking for the illness he wasn't looking for death he wasn't looking for the loss the tragedy is that somehow in the mysterious way of god the something that was happening in the heavenlies impacted the earthly. And as far as we know, Job never knew. We get the benefit from hindsight of reading this, of of seeing this this story that we have this morning of what was going on in heaven. But Job didn't have that, and neither will you and neither will I about much of what happens in life. There will be a a mystery about it until we see him face to face. So if you've got your Bible, open to Job chapter 1. And let's look at this mystery a bit. We don't know a lot about who wrote this book. We don't even know when it was written. Many people think it was written at the time of the patriarchs, which would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I won't go into all the reasons why they think that, but the first reference to Job uh, in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel, which is in like 500 600 in that range of the, of the exile. So that's a pretty wide range. No book of the Bible is, is, is as mysterious in terms of when it was written. We don't know who wrote it. Interestingly enough, Job is not Jewish. He's not an Israelite. It's written clearly by someone who was in the covenant. But it's not. He, he's portrayed as a man outside that, and yet a man who's a God-fearer. He's righteous. We know that he was quite a powerful and wealthy man, but who feared God, and he was a great man, it says in verse 3. He was concerned with the righteousness of his family, of his children. And he got God's attention. One thing we've got to we can't shy away from that the scripture says is that it is not Satan who comes to Job. And Satan, the word there—it's Shaitan—the word in Hebrew there means accuser. Right? We don't know for sure if it was the de- what we know is the devil. Uh, several people are referred to as Shaitan throughout Scripture, but it's easily that devilish implication is there. First thing we have to see: Job one, verse eight. You know, if I were I tell my children this all the time. The last thing in the world I want to be in our culture is famous. I don't. I don't want to be. I never want to be on the cover of a Christian magazine or any magazine. I don't want people in terms of I want my influence to be right here. I don't want to be on Twitter or Facebook or any of those socially things. I guess you're not on Twitter. I don't know. But I don't want, I don't want to be noticed. There's something within me because in our culture, what does that mean? You just get, I mean, I just feel like people get hammered, right? And scrutiny becomes. There's a mixed blessing here to me when the Lord says in verse 8, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? On one side I say, wow, the Lord knows. The Lord is aware of this man, this one individual who's walking before the Lord, trying to do the right thing. And I think, Lord, God, please, I don't know if I want you to notice me or not. (laughs) Right? I mean, partly, uh, honestly, because Satan asks this question that is the pivotal question in the entire book. After having declared Job a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, Satan answers the Lord and says, does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, if we want to put this in sort of other language, he says, well, yeah, of course he honors you. Of course he's in awe of you. The guy's a billionaire. I mean, he's got the easiest life ever. He's got he's got it all. He's got the perfect life. Of course, you know. He serves you? Who wouldn't? But you see, I want you to know, he says, that if, if you just took all that stuff away, he'd be cursing you. So God, for purposes of his own, allows it. Second thing I want you to see is this. It is, besides God being the one who draws the attention, he is clearly permitting Things to happen. It says, there's a, a line here, and people use this, uh, we pray this sometimes, in verse 10, Have you not put a hedge around him in his house, and all that he has on every side? There's a philosophy called dualism, which says, you know, that God is good, the devil's bad, and they fight it out. And let's hope we get on God's side. And the scripture does not teach that. God is clearly in control, and he, the devil asks permission to do this so for those of us like I do who believe in the complete sovereignty of God this raises some tough questions right why would God permit the hedge to be taken away can I tell you now uh, 43 chapters before we're going to finish is that you will not find an answer that from a human perspective will satisfy your soul you won't we are going to look at some of the things that are going to really, really get, get us, I don't know if they'll get us upset or not, but they're really going to be, we're going to have to wrestle with some things because why God decides to do this, now we're going to glean, we're going to glean some tremendous benefit from this. And we're going to, we're going to see some amazing revelation of Jesus in this. But I can ask you some other tough questions. Why would Jesus sacrifice his son for people who don't care about him and really ultimately our posture is kind of to hate and dismiss God. I did for years. I kind of spat on Jesus. Why would he do that? There's a lot of unfairness. But God, who is sovereign, who is in the authority, Removes says, I will remove the hedge of protection, but here are my parameters. Don't touch his body. Don't touch Job himself. We'll see. You say he'll curse you if everything goes bad. We read all the things that happened. And what is Job's response? As far as I'm concerned, it's pretty amazing. Verse 21, "Naked, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His attitude was shown to be a righteous man, to be one who said, "It's not. I'm not praising God because of all that I have. I believe in God whether I'm rich or poor, whether life or death, I, I, I still am there. Job didn't sin, or he charged God with wrong. I'll capsulize because the second... Chapter, he attacks his physical health, which for many of us is a real fear, right? I've 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 been at bedsides, you know, in my pastoral role. I've talked to many people. I I hear the fears. Lord, please don't let me get cancer. Don't let me get Alzheimer's Lord, don't let this come upon me. Anything but touching my physical health. I could deal with that, but not not that. And for God, again, for mysterious reasons of his own, Satan says, well, that's the area. There's something that if I if I can do that to him, then he'll curse you. And Job, again, at the end of having sores in his body to the point where he just was in misery it says loathsome sores in chapter 2 verse 7 from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head he had to take a pottery shard to scrape it to get some relief and his wife turns to him and gives really the first piece of, of earthly wisdom and part of us would resonate with this look you've served this god you've done all this stuff and look what he did to you just curse him and die Something, you know, there's, there's part of our earthly, our human self that would say, yeah, that makes sense to me. Where's the breaking point? Where's the point at which? And I would ask each of us here to sort of say, is there a place where you said, well, if X, Y, or Z outwardly happened, then my faith in God would be so shaken that I really would, cursing God and dying would just make more sense to me. Now this isn't something that I'm saying is gonna happen or that Job's situation is ours. It's not a like, well, this, this happened to Job, this is gonna to happen to you. This is not a book that that's sort of this is the way to live. But we're gonna find out that suffering happens. Guys, suffering happens in this world and we have to reconcile if we are going to preach and talk about a god who is good and sovereign with a world that looks at that and looks at the job questions and says can't be reconciled no way i tell you we've got to deepen go deep in this and not just shallow because there's too much in our in christianity in these days where you know do this and you'll be blessed and wealthy Well, you may be, I've seen people, because there's principles like reaping, you, you reap what you sow, right? Sort of that retribution principle. Deuteronomy 28, live according to the covenant and I will bless you. If you don't live according to the covenant, I will curse you. That sort of seems like good people get the good and bad people get the bad. You sow, you reap. And generally speaking, it's pretty true. Because not everybody's a Job. You smoke eight packs of cigarettes a day, you know, for 20 years and then go, Oh, you know, I got lung cancer. What are you doing to me? Well, you're not really Job. All right. (laughs) Like, really, you're reaping what you sowed. I'm sorry. And it's not, you know, it's not like I'm glad for it, but, but you don't look at that and say, Well, it's unjust. You say, No, it's actually quite just. you, you, You know, there's, there's a reaping and sowing, but we err. And this is, and there's parts of Christianity that can err in saying it is like a cookie cutter. You do this, you get this. And Job stands in the face of that and slaps you upside the head and said, "Job did all the covenant, even before, probably before the, we knew he knew the covenant. He was walking that, and yet for a period of his life, disaster." And Job's friends are going to give quick answers and kind of, this is what it is, this is what it is, this is what it is. And God says, wrong, wrong, sort of wrong, mostly wrong, all wrong. That's pretty much what happens. And you know what's going to be interesting as we look at these friends who give advice? When I read read through the advice, I was like, I pretty much agree with so much of that advice. It is, From my perspective, it seemed like excellent counsel. It really does. When you read it on the face, you're like, That's actually a good word, brother. I can get behind and say amen to what you just said. And God says, nope. Because you and I do not see what God sees. We do not see the heavenly picture perfectly. And if you are humble, you will say, I don't have full wisdom here. God grants us some wisdom. It's not that we don't know anything but let's be really, really careful because I would, I'm would. i afraid sometimes I have been and would be like Job's friends and say, well, if you just did it the right way, you wouldn't be suffering. Maybe. But I don't want to be one of Job's accusers. Let me just look, as you finish up this morning, let me look at, Chapter 2, verse 9, because it's his wife says, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. It's pretty much all we know of Job's wife, right? Well, when you think of Job's wife, curse God and die. I'm not sure I really want that on my epitaph either. Like, be careful what you say, because if it, like, gets into the Bible, like, you're just, like, done for history. You're, like, you know, doubting Thomas or Job's wife or Lot's wife or whatever. Every decision matters, right? It could matter for like some, I don't know. I mean, the Bible's finished. it's not. We're not going to write any more stuff, but just be careful. I wouldn't want to be known for that, like curse God and die. Look, what does Job say? It's kind of a gentle rebuke, but he says, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job is not on trial here. God is. God's justice. Is God just and is God good? Ultimately, we are wanting to come up with explanations as to why things happen. And even when Jesus Christ was crucified, it says we looked at him and we thought him accursed. People looking at Roman justice said, well, he must have done something. He wouldn't be hanging on a cross if he didn't. That was the attitude of, well, must be a lawbreaker. It's really the point of the book of Matthew is he didn't break the law, Roman law or any law. But it says we esteemed him in Isaiah. We esteemed him accursed. We esteemed him stricken. And if people look and say, well, where is the justice? We're going to enter in with this book into a point where we're going to see that there is a good God who allows suffering because it's redemptive. And that in the suffering of Jesus Christ, the truly innocent man, you and I have life itself. And that's why Job's going to point us in this direction. It's not a full revelation of the gospel, but it's more so than you might think. And at the end, the next time someone goes through the book of Job and announces somewhere, oh, we're going to study Job, you're going to say,
0: I love that book.
1: Well, maybe not. You might not love it. But you can say, I appreciate it. The Bible doesn't shy away from hard questions. One of the things I love about it may not be the answer you want, but I'd rather wrestle with a real God than be in love with an idol, a God of my own making that suits my purposes, because that's not the real God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you are good, and you are sovereign and mighty, and yet, Horrible suffering occurs in this world. It occurred in the life of Job. And I'm so thankful to you that you're a God who walks with us through the questions and the purpose. And you don't say, don't ask that question. Don't question me. Lord, you want us to come to you as children and say, I trust you. I don't know why. Would you help me, Lord? and God who sits with us in the ashes, Lord, when we're suffering. Lord, we pray that as we read and as we look, Father, we would not shy away, but that we would enter into the truth, Lord, and, and see a picture of you, learn about who you really are, and get heaven's perspective rather than just earth's. And in that, while we may not come away with answers that fully satisfy on earth, we know that there is a God who doesn't leave us or forsake us. Even though it might appear that in suffering we are, we learn here that we are not. So God, we ask that wherever we are this morning, whatever suffering we're currently experiencing or whatever We are, have experience that you would walk with us, that you would show yourself strong and true. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.